Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today marks the end of our Property Heavyweight series. Rather sadly, I think uh, you'll agree I've had some good feedback about this particular series, I have to say. But I'd like to draw it to a close by also drawing some conclusions, if you like. And over the past couple of months, we have heard from no less than nine titans of our industry. Some have made great strides in a relatively short period of time, although most have been in it for decades. And there's some common themes, and yet also some differences or individuality as well. So let's not get into that too much right now. Let's run through some of these, uh, some of the guests and some of the highlights, if you like, and key takeaways um, over the next few minutes. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Of course, over the series, I've had the pleasure of talking to no less than nine highly successful property people for this Property Heavyweight series. As I mentioned, it's been one of the most talked about and popular ones that I've done, in fact, and I've had people saying, I only found you because of this particular series. So it's, it's gone down well. Um, you know, I would have liked to have spoken to more people and, and you know, particularly have a bit more diversity um, included in the groupings. But in all honesty, when I tell you about our internal selection criteria, you might start to understand why that wasn't always the case or was possible. So, for example, our internal selection criteria was that uh, our guests should be either at or trending towards having an estimated net worth of 10 million or, or more. And this should be generated largely through property related activities. Um, there were some of the criteria as well, and um, and indeed some of the guests that we approached um, with a view to you know sharing with us on the podcast didn't just didn't want to, they either didn't want the publicity or it just wasn't their thing, and as you can possibly imagine, and just just to put that into some sort of perspective, uh, a net worth of ten million or more, I'm talking pounds right now, um, if you compare that to the top one percent of the UK population. Top one, to get into the top 1% of the UK population, you need a net worth of 3.2 million. So uh, let's just say they're well into, uh, into the top 1% bracket. They're probably into the top half percent or even less than that, in fact. So there's a small concentration is what I'm trying to say, a small pool. And um, we didn't ask for any evidence of the net worth of our guests. So, you know, I'm not making any claims uh, that all of our guests are absolutely worth at least this figure. Um, and you should do your own due diligence in that respect. But um, we, we had a good uh, estimate that, you know, they're certainly trending towards if they weren't there. But don't take our word for that because we didn't do a lot of uh, significant forensic exercise. But anyway, that's the context. Um, let's just run through some of the individual guests, if you like, um, and look at the, some of the strategies that they followed. Uh, summarize some of the key takeaways and, and just um, recap, if you like, some of the top tips uh, from each of the guests uh, that we, we talked about over the series right now, and hopefully haven't forgotten any. Um, so apologies if I have. So we started out, if you remember, with Ben Habib, and uh, he's founder and CEO of First Property Group. 
And, uh, you know, he, he's running a commercial property fund. Uh, it's AIM listed, AIM uh, market listed. So it's a big operation. He's got a lot of uh, assets and funds under management. And he's been in the business, if you like, time in the market of over 25 years. I'm um, not sure exactly, but certainly well over 25 years. Uh, I guess if I, um, when I look back at the notes, some of the key takeaways is that um, he mentioned having a very clear, written, sound investment philosophy and principles. Do you remember him talking about that? That, you know, he always went back to these principles in how to make decisions, if you like. Um, in fact, he, he has a small group of people. And if anyone in that group of people in, in his company says they don't want to do the deal, they just don't do the deal. Um, there, you can look up the principles that he goes by on the website. And I think that's quite a good uh, good thing to, to go back to because obviously that removes a lot of uh, biases that we might have if you lean on more objective principles. Actually doing it is harder, but uh, that's what he talks about. He, he also, you know, what made a big difference for him in particular, and I think this is possibly a recurring theme, is leveraging other people's money in order to scale your reach. So there were the big, you know, big takeaways. There's obviously a lot that were ground we covered, but I don't want to go into too much depth in a summary or wrap up uh, episode. In terms of top tips, uh, Ben talked about starting young and uh, sacrificing short term gain for the long term gain, uh, which, of course, is delayed gratification. That's something else we hear more than once. Leveraging sooner in order to scale and steep yourself in financial knowledge. So the principles of leveraging, delayed gratification, starting young so that you've got more time in the market. And I guess you can also afford a few more mistakes as well uh, before you've perhaps got too many commitments. Although I'm a bit of a late starter, so um, you always are possible. Uh, but I think also the steeping yourself in financial knowledge point came out. If you remember from the Women in Property series, that was also a recurring theme, um, you know, getting, getting a grounding in financial knowledge and education. So that was Ben. Um, we started us off and I really enjoyed the conversation with Ben and I had a subsequent conversation with him as well. So that was great. Next up, we had Zach Ahrens, who is co-founder and partner of Metaprop. One of our, in fact, was the first guest that we had from the United States. Of course, his principal business strategy or property strategy rather is as a business angel and venture capital fund. So if you like, he was putting funds into businesses. He's the angel in this particular sense. So um, he's investing into, in particular, prop tech types of companies and, uh, and, and seeing growth through that. He's been in, in the market for about 10 years, so relatively young um, by, this, by comparison to some of our guests. I guess some of the key takeaways there, I remember we talked quite a lot about hustling, which is um, two elements I think came out of the hustle uh, conversation piece I had with Zach. One was hard work, literally. He talked about sending emails at one o'clock in the morning. And also networking. So, you know, just expanding the network and putting yourself out there. So, of course, that is another form of leverage, isn't it? The networking. And in fact, he talks about leverage in a different way. He talks about amplifying your voice. That was his key phrase. Uh, through your team, through partners, through marketing, through systems, and indeed through funding. And I recently held a workshop about um, the eight different types of capital, and there's about four or five of them summarized in that particular uh, conversation that I had with Zach right there. Uh, maybe I got, maybe I picked it up from him. Who knows? <laughs> um, in terms of top tips, uh, what Zach had to say was, um, now bear in mind, he's coming at it from a, a sort of a business point of view. He, he says, uh, pick a really, really narrow part of the industry and be one of the best in the world uh, and then create opportunities from that. So he's really niching down. 
and specialising. Uh, but he also talks about backing it up with experience. Um, so don't just talk a good game, if you like. Really know what you're, you, you know, you're doing. Get some experience behind you. And, it, and your interest level must dovetail with your experience. There must be an alignment or a congruency is a word, I think, uh, that people use to describe that kind of thing. So it should be all lined up. Uh, and tell a story that's coherent and resonates with your past, present and future. So this is the congruence. This is being true to yourself, true to your values. And um, there's a word I'm missing, isn't there? But I think it's all about integrity, really. So that was uh, that was Zach Aaron's. Uh, next up, we had Steve Bolton, who's founder of Platinum Property Partners. And uh, I guess his principal strategies, are a, a number of, I guess, have diversified, as you probably picked up. But uh, Steve started with uh, personal HMO investments uh, and, and then moved to franchise that particular model. It's another form of scaling, by the way, franchising. So uh, he developed systems and processes. So the Ray Kroc type of model, if you like, franchising. Um, to actually scale up his operations and be able to reach a lot further. Uh, he's been in the market 20 years or more. And uh, I guess some of the key takeaways there, again, another conversation really enjoyed. Um, have a strong moral compass. Have clear values and principles. Um, uh, he talked about it, didn't he? He rattled off his values, didn't he? And, and when we spoke very, very clearly, he knew what he stood for. He had a clear purpose and direction in, in his life. Um, he talks about gamifying yourself. I thought that was really interesting. Gamifying yourself to be able to do the things that you don't actually enjoy. Um, just as a bit of an off-topic conversation, I remember I had a summer job once when I was a student and uh, I was basically loading and unloading lorries for a career company. And in the dead of night, it was on the night shift. And the way I used to get through it was setting myself a challenge of how long uh, or how short a time it could take me to either load or unload a lorry. So that was that was an example of gamifying because, by the way, who likes loading or unloading lorries? Um, it's just an example of that. So uh, that was really interesting. Uh, he talks a lot about investing in self-development and becoming an action taker. So not just learning for learning's sake, but implementing what you're learning. I think that's the real takeaway there. In terms of top tips, he talked about uh, everybody with the desire to be more successful indeed can be. But at the same time, he talked about personal responsibility. Oh, there's another recurring theme that you're going to hear about. And he, he, he used this phrase, and he said, we're all self-made. We're either self-made successes or indeed we're self-made failures. And uh, successful people have successful habits. So master forming good habits is a success principle that Steve shared with us. And this is one of the things that will help us the most is what Steve shared. So we, if we think, act, behave differently by creating new habits, then we can achieve anything in life is what Steve was sharing with us. So I thought that was really fascinating. Talking about habits, talking about personal development and also taking action, of course. Then we had another one of our transatlantic guests. I like that phrase. And uh, Mike Hambright, who was one of the later guests, he picked up on that. But uh, we did. We'll have another one of our uh, transatlantic guests, which is Joe Lieber, founder of JL Investment Group. And I guess his principal strategies, uh, he, he says, I'm a cash flow guy, you know, single family homes, cash flow guy. And I probably got it mentioned later on in my notes here, but um, he talked about stay in your lane. He wandered out of lane once or twice. He talked about a big sort of apartment block. He said that it took him years, took years of his life to kind of work through, but stay in your lane, stick to what you're good at, in other words. Uh, 20 years in the business, I think 22 actually. 
Uh, some of the key takeaways, uh, I really liked his conversation, his point really about having a lifestyle by design, not by default. So choosing your lifestyle. He talked about, for example, he, he was talking to me literally while he was taking a month off. Um, he, he took a break to actually speak to me and obviously to share with you. So, uh, but normally, you know, he wasn't in the office. He shut the office down and he does something similar around about December time. Stay in your lane is what he said. Um, but um, put your money to work. Don't put yourself to work. Uh, was another key takeaway. And that's another point about leverage. So work, making your money work hard, not necessarily you. Uh, get others to back you. And he suggested um, the way to do this was to surround yourself with wealthy people and then tell them what you do. And um, I think leading him along is how they could potentially participate. So, But if you're surrounding yourself with these people, put yourself in that environment and tell them what you do, opportunities will emerge. I could possibly add to that, that maybe let them ask rather than you offer. Um, and I, I really like the phrase he used of take the elevator, not the stairs. And the way in which you do that is through mastering, sorry, masterminding and mentoring. And he was kicking himself a bit, wasn't he, about waiting so long before he had that sort of support around him. That's another recurring theme, isn't it? In terms of top tips, he said, don't be transactional. So flipping properties would be an example. Um, he said, have recurring revenue, which would be rental income, for example. And he said, real estate is an active passive investment. I couldn't agree with him anymore there. Even if you're outsourcing, there's still a level of activity, acti uh, activeness that you need to put into it. But if you, once you've set yourself up once, it does kind of pay you forever. Uh, but then you can have other strategies where you use more transactional money, say from flipping or something like that, to fund the toys and the playthings, if you like. So fund your core lifestyle out of rental income and, you know, do a few sort of larger projects and uh, that'll fund your, your sort of uh, playthings, as he called it. He did stress that it doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I read recently um, an article on uh, the uh, Virtual Capitalist website. You can look it up about how the top uh, billionaires in the in the top ten billionaires in the world actually how long it took them to make their first million. So these are billionaires. How long it took them to make their first million, and the average was eight years. So it's quite a long time, in other words, and average. And, and they, obviously, these are exceptional people. So you could argue that they've uh, done it quite quickly as well. Uh, he talks about it. It doesn't happen overnight. And just as it doesn't with becoming a doctor. So anything worth having is worth spending some time in getting. And then one, the, the, the lady in the group, I wish I'd have had more, but the lady in the group was Jill Fielding. And she was, she was amazing, I felt. Uh, founder and CEO of Fielding Financial. Her principal strategies, probably doing her a disservice here, was as a portfolio landlord. Of course, she's moved into alternative income streams and uh, including financial education. Um, she's been in the market, I think, I'm guessing, around 40 years or more. So uh, plenty of time in the market. Um, key takeaways from our conversation. She talked about squirreling away money into savings and investments to delay your gratification. Oh, there's that phrase again. So, um, you know, having jam tomorrow rather than jam today. Initially focusing on some income strategies to generate time freedom. thought that was really interesting. Focus on income strategies, get time freedom. And then as she puts it, I really love this phrase, you can have a fancy pants portfolio uh, later on. And it's all about mindset. She was talking about it's all about mindset. Have a life's mission, have decent core values, set goals, remain positive and learn from all your experiences. And she put a positive spin on every experience that she shared with us. Even when I was asking her, to talk, asking her rather to talk about some of the things that didn't quite go so well, she put a positive spin on it or she talked about what she learned as a result of it. 
That's really important to protect your mind and have a good outlook without going all woo-woo and everything. But, you know, Um, uh, she talks about money will never solve people's money problems. In other words, if you give money to people who've got bad financial habits, they're just going to get, you know, it's just going to squander it. So um, it's uh, altering a wrong belief and understanding about money that will solve uh, these financial problems. And financial education solves people's financial problems. That's really important enough point there. And I think she talks about having this qualification in, in, in uh, finance, um, which if you look her up, uh, you'll, you'll find more details about that. In terms of top tips, she talks about the three routes, as she calls it, to becoming financially free, which was through land and property, trading, um, you know, trading, buying and selling things and your own business. And ideally, you should look to participate in all three over over your lifetime, I suppose. Um, She talks about flexing your strategy, the strategy, depending on the state of the market. And, you know, things change over time. Things come into fashion. Things work at certain points in the cycle. But begin with the end in mind, have a clear strategy and make evidence-based decisions. You focus on that a lot. You know, don't don't be emotional. Have evidence-based decisions. Have criteria. Hmm, sounds a bit like Ben Habib's advice, doesn't it? And uh, and then act unemotionally and professionally in pursuit of that. Then we have, I suspect, one of the youngest, if not the youngest uh, guest was uh, Reza Merchant, who is founder and CEO of The Collective. Uh, came from an immigrant family, of course, and was, you know, introduced to being an entrepreneur in his household, watching his, uh, his, his I think, father, I was going to say parents, I think it was his father, start from scratch. And, you know, that obviously provided a grounding uh, for him to, to move forward. Um, his strategy uh, is large scale co-living communities with the collective, of course, um, you know, investing now in um, three countries, I think it is. Um, time in the market, I think, is less than 10 years. Um, key takeaways, solve people's pain and problems to develop or grow a business. Um, financial growth and scale, we talked about this quite a lot. And it's kind of understated, wasn't it? But he's raised over $700 million <laughs> to date, which is an amazingly large amount of money. Um, but of course, he talked about it requiring constant attention. When you're in the fundraising game, it requires constant attention. And I asked him, how could you become investable, my words? How could, how could you persuade people to back you? And his response was to have a 100% true and sincere belief in what you're doing, uh, because that also builds resilience, because you face a lot of rejection. You face a lot of no's, in other words. So you have to have this 100% true and sincere belief. Two parts to that. Um, convince others that, uh, that you have to be able to convince others to come with you on the journey. And of course, you know, if you have a sense of purpose, which comes from an authentic and pure place, um, it's going to stand you in good stead as well. So it's not just making money for money's sake, I think, is the point. It's having a clear, you know, purpose. He has a purpose-driven business, as he talks about. And uh, then you need some good old, you know, a plan, goals and action steps to be able to achieve that plan. So some good old business plan tools in there as well. In terms of top tips, what Reza was saying was uh, find experienced people that have been through something similar and then bring them on board as advisors and mentors to help short, shortcut the circ, uh, circ, shortcut the process is what I'm trying to say. Uh, sorry about that. And um, you know, learning from others who've, followed, who've trodden the same path, in other words. But he also says not to just follow their advice blindly. 
Um, he said, be discerning and, and choose, you know, take, take in everything, but make your own judgment, in other words. I thought that was really interesting. And by the way, then we get a repeat of bringing in advisors or mentors and mastermind groups, etc., whatever language you want to use, but external parties who can help you make, uh, make a go at it more quickly. He talks about don't go halfway, go all in and go all in with your energy, with your time, with your finances and so on. Uh, go all in. I thought that was fascinating. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of our guests probably alluded to that if they didn't express it. But I think with Reza, it came out, didn't it? You know, I remember he talking about the um, securing um, a loan against his parents' home for his business. So imagine that conversation. <laughs> but seems to be working out okay. But understand the deeper purpose and meaning as to why you're doing something and make that clear to other people as well. So like I said, you know, have, have something a little bit more worthwhile to aim at. And next up, we had Abraham Bellel, who is the managing director of Simple Bridging UK. And, um, you know, Abraham's quite a humble and modest guy. You know, his principal strategies were sourcing. Um, he talks it, I think, turnkey property solutions, but property sourcing, essentially, um, having a portfolio of his own. And, uh, and then that's latterly involved into private bridging through his family office type of business. So he's, he's migrated through different strategies as time has gone by. And he's used some strategies to fund his asset growth. So an income strategy would be his property sourcing business. He's taken that income and he's invested it into his portfolio. And now more recently, he's actually investing his own money into other people's um, property projects. Hmm, a bit like Joe Lieber. He's done something similar, hasn't he? So there's a bit of a cycle or an evolution um, as some of these people have been in the business a long time. Indeed, uh, Abraham's been in the business over 20 years. Some of the key takeaways, use your experience and your expertise to branch out and to then reinvest the capital. Uh, this generates into your portfolio, a bit like I've just said. Um, develop multiple income streams. Lots of our guests have business, various business interests, uh, multiple income streams as well. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. You have to be in the game a long time. Um, and I suggest when you start out, that's not the right approach. Um, you know, focus in lockdown on one and, and then grow from there. But uh, Abraham, you know, in his own words, followed a bit of an out of box, out of the box path. So, you know, didn't really follow the usual path. But I'd probably say that was true of a lot of our guests in all fairness, even though they didn't say it. Um, so he was providing services to investors and also finance to investors. So selling shovels, as I like to call it. Uh, he wasn't just investing or developing directly, although, as I mentioned, he used some of the proceeds to do that. In terms of his top tips, he talked about perseverance being really important. Don't quit even when there are doubts in your mind. Um, and know, know you have the fire in your belly, he talked about. Have the fire in your belly first. And then here we go again. Surround yourself with the right environment and the right people. And make sure you have the right coach or mentor on board. And even if you don't succeed, I thought this is really important. Even if you don't succeed, you have at least tried. I guess that's a point about self-respect, isn't it? You know, you, 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 you know, you have to get put it, you know, put it in there. You have to put it in there. You have to try. You have to make the effort if you like. Then we had um, another transatlantic guest, and I actually literally referred to him as such, which is Mark, I'm sorry, Mike Hambright, who is founder of Flipnerd. And um, his principal strategy is property trading, uh, latterly branched out into mentoring and coaching and masterminding, as you heard from our conversation. He's been in the market just about 10 years, uh, similar time to myself. Um, some of the key takeaways are 
Mark, uh, Mike, I keep calling him Mark. Mike, um, he, he had two jobs, didn't he? He talked about that he followed the system, as it were, went and got an education. He even got an MBA, uh, worked for two, you know, corporates and essentially for various reasons he got fired from one and the other one uh the other job became he became redundant so he didn't have control over his destiny that was the biggest driver for him to uh, to become a real estate investor and in fact he, i think he, he in his own words he, he, he sort of um, messed around a little bit with an online business and and maybe frittered away some of the startup capital that he, he could have had when he left uh, corporate land uh, so he was kind of motivated, let's say that, when he really went to uh, real estate. He was very committed when he went into real estate or property, as we obviously we call it. He flipped around 300 ho- um, houses in a very short period of time and then moved to helping other people flip, as he, as he calls it, about 1,000 houses a year. And so what he did is he leveraged his knowledge and indeed his network. He's now got this large mastermind group, and in fact, I'm a part of it. Um, and there's a lot of really good people in that group, I can assure you. Um, but flipping is a very active business. So he's now moving into larger deals, um, which allows a little bit more passivity and concentration of capital and other resources as well. And the experience that bring, uh, sorry, his experience brings confidence. He talked about this a lot, talked about confidence to be able to make quick decisions uh, even though there's problems and challenges that are still arise in your deals, so I'm really encouraged to hear him say that. Um, but that confidence also breeds uh, quick decisions, but allows him to do more deals, and it's a cycle. Uh, so do do more deals to gain more confidence, and then you will do more deals. Um, but he talked about when, when when we talk about values, taking personal responsibility for your own life, because nobody will ever be as concerned about um, your success as you are. That was really interesting. Again, we, we, we heard about personal responsibility, taking responsibility from a number of our guests. Uh, people these days often talk about rights, but I think it's important to talk about responsibility. And Mike illustrated that very well. In terms of top tips, he used a phrase, I'm not sure he used it as a top tip, but he used a phrase, burning the boats, uh, which basically means going all in. Oh, there we go. That phrase again, same as Reza talked about. Uh, So give it a good go, not a half-hearted one, in other words. Uh, Surround yourself with people that are already doing it as coaches and mentors. Any recurring themes leaping out at you? Um, And doing deals builds confidence, which improves decision-making, which leads to do more deals, is what I've just summarized, really. And also to avoid the trap of self-employment. And that's, you know, there's a risk here with us as property investors. We can go so far on our own, can't we? Um, but that just, you know, we'll build a self-employment business. So if we introduce people and systems, we can then grow out into a proper business, as Mike likes to call it. And then um, to draw a close on the series, last week we had John Howard, who is a property developer, trader and investor. And um, of course, his strategy is, is exactly that. He's been in the years four decades, been in the business rather, four decades. Yeah, four decades, 40 years or more. Uh, some of the key uh, takeaways here with John, um, his proficiency stems from the purchase and sale of over 3,500 houses, apartments and developments. So a lot of transactional activity, which I guess makes you battle-hardened. However, he was starting out assisting his father in his estate agency business as a young boy, and he did that for about 10 years before he did his actual first property deal. I think he was about 18 when he did his first property deal, but he'd already been grounded in his, uh, his father's estate agency business. That's what we're really trying to say here. And um, he managed to get some financial backers. Um, that was really important, I think, for him to get started. So his mum 
uh, was one of those backers. And then he also found a business angel who funded a lot of his deals. So that allowed him to scale and grow quite quickly. There's another recurring theme that many of our guests have talked about. And uh, the other key uh, takeaway was to minimize the time in a deal, as time is everything with trading and development. Time is money, time you know, uh, has to interest payments, etc. And he talks about don't be afraid to sort of realize a loss and move on. Um, I think that's really interesting. He said, don't sit on it and just trying to sweat it out. Just take the pain and move on to the next deal. Um, wise words, I think. Um, so um, he he's never had a renovation project either. And in particular, I think if this is relating to where it's an existing unit, it's not a new build, that has come in both on time and on budget. That's both on time and on budget in 40 years or four decades. That was quite a startling uh, revelation to hear that from someone so experienced. Um, but it just goes to show, doesn't it, uh, what this business can be like. In terms of top tips, he, he says it's easier to buy, say, five properties and make money uh, than just one because it gives you more options to exit. You can break it up into different pieces and keep some, flip some, refurb some, etc. So, um, you know, doing larger deals um, gives you more options. Uh, it, it, it was a bit of a warning sign about profits. Uh, if you're looking at 5 to 10% profit or even 15%, it's not enough. You need to be netting 20% of the total cost as a minimum to be able to uh, do your deals safely and securely and sustainably. And, you, know, you talked about his unbreakable rules. I'm glad he you know, had this and shared it with us. If you can't resell it straight away after buying it for a profit, if you can't buy it, refurb it and sell it with a profit, or if you can't buy it, refurb it, let it and refinancing it and get most of your money back out, then don't buy it. And he talks about that, those being his three unbreakable rules. But you always need an angle. Um, he talked about this. You need an angle. And when lots of other people catch on to it, you need to go and find another one. And then, of course, you need to reinvent yourself every couple of years. Thought so that was really interesting. Uh, in other words, we need to be continually learning, developing and adapting. That uh, was the biggest takeaway, I guess, from that particular point. But the free unbreakable rules as well. So there we go. That was a quick summary. I'm sure you can see some patterns that are uh, coming out from some of the uh, from some of the guests' shares there, and also some individuality as well. So there wasn't a cookie cutter. There's no cookie cutter. There are some common elements which are foundational, I think. Um, but you know, there was room for people to apply their individuality and follow their own path. Um, there was perhaps some surprising comments as well, uh, such as the uh, a couple of people talk, talking about taking personal responsibility, uh, for example. Um, so they very clearly believe they were responsible for their own lives and their own success, and we should we should take that on board. Nearly all of the guests, if you remember, spoke about the value of educating ourselves in one way or another and having the right people around us to support, advise and guide us. And that can come in different ways, but just having extra people to bounce and be, be a sounding board, I guess. There were plenty of character, personal character traits that were also revealed, including having a clear purpose, clear values and goals as well. So, um, of course, then there's being persistent and resilient and even the go all in type of approach too. That was resonating and ringing. There was a common thread right through many of our guests in that respect. But most of all, it does seem to take time. Um, probably each one of our guests is around about 10 years minimum. I think Reza is probably just under. Um, we're talking about a couple of guests who've gone over four decades, of course. So um, a lot of the guests we spoke to have been in the game about 20 years. Um, so to get to that sort of level of success, it's, it's not get rich quick. Uh, in other words, so despite what, you know, some of the course junkies might be telling you, it isn't necessarily get rich quick. 
Um, so get, there you go. I guess, you know, I could probably talk more, but this is a wrap-up and a summary. You've heard, obviously, from uh, all the guests over the series. Uh, just wanted to add a little bit of colour and insight and, you know, what I've detected uh, along the way. And uh, there were some common ingredients of what makes people, uh, these people, property heavyweights, as I'm sure you'll agree. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it. That's the end of this particular series. I don't really know what I'm going to do next week yet. I'll uh, I'll figure that out over the next week. Actually, I think I do know what I'm going to share next week. Mike Hambright actually kindly invited me onto his podcast. And I'll probably share that with you uh, next week as well. So, um Unless I change my mind in the meantime. Anyway, stop rambling, Richard. Um, that's the end of the Property Heavyweight series. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm, um, I have an idea for the next Property Voice uh, podcast series, which I'm going to call Around the Regions. Uh, it's not going to be sort of a, a series in the, in the way that we've been doing them over, say, a 12, 16, 20-week period of time, which the last few series have run. I'm planning to do it piecemeal and just go to different regions and focus in on them. So I'm announcing that to you now, basically, because... If you're a you know a subject matter expert or a local expert or a you know someone active in property, whether it's as an investor developer or even a service provider, I'm really interested in talking to service providers, estate agents, letting agents, uh, surveyors, for example, uh, in in the regions of the UK, the Northeast, the Northwest, the Midlands, etc. I'm planning to do some roadshows. I'm planning to come out to the regions, and I'm planning to have some sort of question time type of format there so um, there you go just sort of bit of a west of the appetite so if you uh, want to participate in that in some way or even just come along because I'm planning to actually have an audience this is a big plan I don't know how it's going to unfold but um, just let me know drop me a line Uh, or if you can recommend someone that perhaps I should be talking to in each of those regions who you think should be somebody I should be uh, involving in it I'd really like to hear that Anyway, enough of that. Um, I think I should draw to a close now. So if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, um, Richard, of course, uh, but the address, the email address is podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Meanwhile, of course, as usual, the show notes can be found at the website thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.